everybody, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm Mike Urbans, and I'm glad you found us. Uh, today, we have part two of a two-part series. I guess it would be two-part series, right? On dealkalization. Uh, the first part, we had Ted Begg, and we're going to have Ted Begg from Pure Light Corporation, uh, my favorite egghead in the water industry, um, and discuss how do dealkalizers work. Now, we went through the resins, type 1, type 2, um, and the pH drop and the frustration around the pH drops that we get. We really got to kind of properly design, you know, and, and we'll stick with the residential style dealkalizers and maybe dip into uh, some of the boiler um, applications because a lot of my customers are uh, boiler guys, Ted. So I think you remember that from, I guess, the Calgon days. Um, so I w without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce and introduce Ted Begg of Pure Light Company and uh, to explain how basically a dealkalizer works. Ted? How's a dealkalizer hey, <laughs> work? <laughs> nice to be back for round two here. Yeah, now, now we're going to get into uh, why will we intentionally dealkalize water? Um, and and the primary reason is is you want to prevent the formation of scale in boilers uh, when, when it's a boiler water application. But the, the same thing would apply to um, a, a residential use where you're softening and dealkalizing to remove the two components in the water, bicarbonate alkalinity and calcium magnesium hardness, when combined will co form calcium carbonate and scale up your, your boiler at home or your hot water heater. But in, in the more industrial side of it, um, it's all about boiler feed water. The water that you're sending to the boiler, you want to have low hardness, low alkalinity, uh, so you did not form those scales. And also there's some other benefits from lowering alkalinity because all boilers to maintain the conductivity or total dissolved solids in the boiler water mm -hmm. have a continuous blowdown. And that's to remove any accumulated total dissolved solids in, in the boiler water uh, at a constant level. And by reducing alkalinity, you can actually reduce that amount of blowdown which means you don't have to use as m many chemicals for uh, uh, scale control and corrosion control as you would with a boiler that, you know, does not remove the alkalinity. Right. There's actually, and, and Michael, there's actually a second benefit, and I think this is probably even more important, that if you don't take bicarbonate alkalinity out from the boiler, in, in the boiler feed water, when it goes into the boiler, that alkalinity will actually flash off with the steam as carbon dioxide. Not a good not thing. Not a good thing. It's, yeah. it's a lot of corrosion. Not there. a good thing. So, so so when that steam is used and, and condenses, it's typically brought back to the boiler. Mm -hmm. Well, when it condenses, if it has CO2 in the steam, it's going to condense as carbonic acid. And we all know and we've all heard of liquid carbonic acid. That's basically liquid CO2. Mm -hmm. um, so how does a water treatment guy combat that carbonic acid that forms when, when the steam condenses and forms carbonic acid? Uh, they feed what's called neutralizing amines uh, to the boiler feed water, mm. which also flash over with the steam. 
and they're there to neutralize the carbonic acid uh, uh, when it forms in the condensate. Uh, the benefit from that is corrosion control. Without it, you're going to corrode the piping, so you're going to see copper and iron coming back in the condensate, and ultimately that's going to go back into boiler feed water and back into the boiler, and all of a sudden now you're going to have copper and iron deposits in the boiler, which we want to avoid. Jeez. So just to reiterate the two benefits is from dealkalizing boiler feed water is that, you know, you're not going to be doing continuous blowdown as much uh, and you'll save on boiler chemicals. And then the whole phenomena surrounding the uh, corrosive carbonic acid. Jeez. I mean, so there's, there is a thing called anion hardness, kind of. We remove, say we go to a homeowner and they have a high alkalinity and we remove, we're softening the water. And they're saying, I'm still getting, you know, it, and not silica now. Well, we're going to do a whole other thing on silica. But right. but you can still get a buildup of anions, I guess, in the shower. I'm, I'm playing ignorant here. But in a, like, yeah. like hardness would create, you know, create a scale or hardness or glass fogging. Um, high alkalinity would do the same thing. Without the hardness component, calcium, magnesium, mm -hmm. without that component, the likelihood of forming scale, even if you have high alkalinity, is very low. Oh, okay. okay. So, if we so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that too much. And gotcha. the other positive about having alkalinity in the water is that, and we all think of it, the pH range, 7 being neutral, below 7 is corrosive, right. above 7 is, is, is non-corrosive. The higher the alkalinity the less corrosion you're going to have in your system. So okay. if you have a softened water with adequate alkalinity, it's a better thing than having no alkalinity gotcha. from a corrosion. Yeah, but un unfortunately, right. say they have a, a nitrate problem. Now we're removing their alkalinity and softening the water right. because um, this, is, this is getting into, say, more of the residential design because yeah. of... What happens, and I explain this to people, is say a person has 12 grains of hardness and uh, 14 parts per million of uh, nitrates. So now we need a softener and a nitrate removal system. But say they say, oh, I can't afford a softener. Just put the nitrate system in. What's going to happen to that anion resin if hard water is in the regeneration process? And you, you are going to tend to form scale, and, and where it's going to deposit in, in most situations is around your valving. Right. Okay, so you, you're going to lead to valve failures because of the scaling. It's going to, it's going to basically uh, impede flow through the valve because it's going to build up over time. A safe level of hardness when you're doing nitrate removal is eight to 10 grains. With eight to 10 grains, let's say less than 10 grains per gallon of hardness, you don't need to soften before a nitrate uh, removal resin. Whether it's a standard type two anion resin or if it's a nitrate select, the rule of thumb is 10 grains. Above 10 grains, you're gonna to wanna to soften. So that 10 grains per gallon is a line in the sand below which you don't have to soften, above which you have to soften. Yeah, and I, I've seen this happen um, where the drain line will clog up 
uh, with scale. Yeah. I think is that a bicarbonate scale? Is that what they call it? Is the... yeah, it's, it's calcium carbonate. So you have the calcium, oh, calcium carbonate from the hardness, mm-hmm. and you have the bicarbonate alkalinity written down as HCO three, and it's a monovalent, so it's minus one valence. And that calcium bicarbonate get together and they form calcium carbonate. Mm. Particularly in high heat regions like the surfaces of your home boiler or or your home water heater. Ah. That's the primary mechanism, I would say, for your for your uh, failure of your water heater. Um, if you ever replace the water heater, you know, usually the, the, the installer uh, will take the old one out and cut it up and hey. When you see that happening, take a look inside that water heater. It's going to be full of scale. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, there's trade-offs in this. This is why anion, you got to, everybody tries to get their head around anion removal because it's all dependent on what you regenerate the anion with. For an example, right. um, uh, we've had a situation with high chlorides and I tell the people, for a homeowner, high chlorides, 450, I tell the people that we can't do anything in a sodium chloride form, regenerated home dealkalizer to remove chlorides. And why is that, Ted? How come we can't practically, you know? Well, it it goes back, Mike, to, and and I talked about that in session one on alkalinity and dealkalization, Mm -hmm. pH drop, and, and that has to do with the selectivity of the resin. The resin, when you purchase it and when you use it, is in the chloride form. And, you know, as you use it and it exhausts, you regenerate it with sodium chloride, and that knocks all the anions off that you've collected, the nitrates, the sulfates, etc., and it puts it back in the chloride form. So you're always exchanging for chloride. So if you have 450 ppm of, of chloride coming in, it's going to increase to a much higher level, and it's going to be equivalent to the amount of sulfate, nitrate, anions that you take out of the water the ions if you will that have a greater selectivity for the anion resin than chloride that's why the exchange takes place Mm -hmm. the only other thing that you could do there to reduce the chloride is as you suggested earlier is maybe put a little sodium carbonate into the brine tank but it's not a real strong science how much do you put in and the alternative can i regenerate with sodium bicarbonate it's just not practical and it's a lot more expensive yeah and you know and well in that case i'm i have to push the competition which is membrane which is ro if you need to reduce chloride yeah in the drinking water ro may be the best bet i always have to explain that to guys they're like well you have nitrate resin well you have uh you know tannin resin why can't we do chlorides i said well no yeah it's utilizing the chloride portion of the sodium chloride to regenerate the anion for potable water use now dealkalization yeah and come to come to think of it mike if you know if you have a sulfate problem okay so4 right. which again is divalent the anion resin has a greater selectivity for sulfate so you can reduce sulfate but guess what if your chloride is high you're gonna ex- it's going to be even higher. higher coming out of the anion because now you're exchanging chloride for the sulfate and it's going to elevate the chloride so yeah it's really not a good answer for controlling sulfate either. No, and, and just to explain to people too, anion resin, you, you still use the solar salt or your salt pellets, um, right. but it's not using the sodium portion to regenerate. It's using this chloride portion of the sodium chloride 
to regenerate. And uh, you, you have to make that designation. Um, then people, our friends listening, will get get the like the aha moment that uh, there is two portions of solar salt, sodium chloride. And you know, it's hardness. A softener uses the sodium portion to regenerate. An anion system uses the chloride portion to regenerate. And so right. unless you're an industrial, we won't go there with uh, mixed bed ion exchange. It, you regenerate it with sodium hydroxide and then it uses the hydroxide portion of the sodium but guess what folks you're going to come out with a 10 or 11 ph <laughs> off of the because it's or higher yeah or higher yeah. because yeah. you're exchanging off the chart yeah you're exchanging yeah you're exchanging the hydroxide portion and when you dealkalize you're going to have hydroxide in the water and look out folks uh, a bad bad thing so that's why that is so squirrely to remove other things, uh, not dealkalizing nitrates and tannins. So. Right. How do we remove alkalinity? Let's get back to boil the feed water. Sure. There are actually two ways you can remove the alkalinity. You can do, as we've been talking about, with a chloride cycle anion. Yep. And the anion is regenerated with sodium chloride, and you're reducing the alkalinity. Um, or... Uh, you know, you can also use a, what's called a weak acid cation, which operates in the hydrogen form. Now, this is not applicable for, for residential. This, mm -hmm. this would be on industrial sites where they can handle acids. But the way the weak acid works is that it, it has uh, the ability to remove what we refer to as temporary hardness, which is hardness associated with bicarbonate alkalinity. Mm. A weak acid resin is not strong enough to split salt. So in a water that has more alkalinity than hardness, you're gonna all you're gonna have completely temporary hardness and it will take all the all the hardness out. But if your alkalinity is lower than the hardness, it's only going to take the hardness out equal to the alkalinity. So you're gonna have residual hardness going into the into the boiler. Mm. So there's some rules about, you know, whether I should use a chloride cycle anion to dealkalize, which is again sodium chloride regenerated, mm -hmm. or a weak acid cation. This is easy to calculate. And and don't be intimidated by using another type of resin. It just requires a different set of equipment. But you would use a weak acid cation resin uh, and regenerate with either hydrochloric acid or sulfuric. Mm -hmm. And and the way the, the weak acid cation works is that it removes hardness, but that alkalinity in the water is going to be, it's going to, it, because you're exchanging hydrogen ion when you take the hardness out, you're going to form carbonic acid. Hmm. Again, that carbonic acid that we talked about for boiler operations, that if it gets, in, you know, it forms in the condensate, you have a corrosion problem. Right. Well, that carbonic acid, you can actually strip the CO2 by putting it through what's called a decarbonator, a force draft decarbonator. So mm -hmm. the water coming out of the weak acid cation, which has a carbonic acid in and low hardness because you've removed all the temporary hardness, will be fed through the top of the decarbonator tower through a bunch of packing rings. And you have at the same time force draft air coming up from the bottom. Gee and going out the top. And what the water does is it strips the CO2 out, thereby reducing the alkalinity. It's not uncommon to see these 
where the chemistry of the raw water basically says I should use a weak acid cation rather than a chloride cycle anion right. to do the dealkalization. But there are programs uh, that you can use to determine and how to size the system, and certainly we can help you with that. Right. But and- um, that's certainly another option. And you know, in in treatment, water treatment, you want to look at the best economics. And in some cases, you're going to see better uh, treatment efficiency with a weak acid cation for dealkalization than than you would with a chloride cycle anion. That's and hopefully everybody you know realizes how how cool <laughs> some of the water treatment aspects are. It's just not Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner too. There's there's so yeah. many yeah. so many facets, and th- this is why I really love this industry and like people and you know, love people like you to show us and introduce us to these yeah. other areas. Yeah, these, these are new markets that, I mean, part of my job really is to encourage people to broaden themselves into different markets. Yeah. Rather than stay, stay in the residential market, can I get into the industrial market and do softening? It's just a bigger vessel, right? Right. And then take the dive and go with a weak acid cation if it applies. Go for it. I mean, we can help you with that. It's not not a big deal. Right, Right. I believe you, uh, well, we could segue a little bit into your design tools. You have a thing called uh, PRISM or PRSM. Yeah, PRSM, right. And that's on our PureLight website. If you go to our homepage, there's going to be a banner going across the the homepage with basically four dots on it, which would bring up different things that we want to to promote. And one of them um, is, is the PRISM suite of, uh, uh, calculation programs that you can use to to design a softener. We have one that will actually design nitrate for nitrate removal. There's another one for boron, which doesn't come across very often, but uh, there's one there. There's also one for arsenic. Uh, there's a whole demin- demineralization and mixed bed application. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I believe, I know we were going to put this up. It may not be up yet, but one on chloride cycle anion dealkalization. What, what about now, PFAS? Sorry. Any? Uh, nothing for PFAS. Okay. We, we have a proprietary, we do have a proprietary program for PFAS and we do have a, a you know, basically a, a blank spreadsheet to fill out to provide all the okay. information we need in order to uh, uh, do a computer model uh, to develop the performance for the PFAS selective resin that we offer. So yeah, so all these programs are available. The ones in the prism, uh, the one nice thing about that that I really promote is that it, it gets you into cost performance. So take a softener. You know, we promote the higher valued uh, shallow shell technology, the SST C60 mm-hmm. or 6000E. So you can go into use the softening program and you can compare standard cation like C100E to the SST product. And based on regenerate cost, water cost, wastewater cost, you could the, the program will basically tell you, and obviously the SST is more expensive, right. what is the payback in, in terms of month in going with a higher, more expensive product that but brings higher performance. Cool. And typically those paybacks are maybe four to eight months. So in most cases, you know, we see um the ability to run with a higher performing resin and it will actually save you money. Yeah. But again, the beauty yeah. is that you, 
with all these programs, you can pick, compare two different products to see which one is better. Right. And it's all based on economics. Right. And that's, that's neat. I mean, because this is the yeah. resources out there, everybody. And that's why I have the podcast yeah. is to direct people to the resources. And, but, yeah. but just circling back to just kind of, cause we're getting, you know, close yeah. on time. The one, one thing, another big question, uh, and this was the bonus for everybody sitting with us here and listening and uh, learning on a regular home. I tell everybody how do you calculate the capacity, and this is real important, of, uh, say, a Type 2 or the, uh, the uh, A300 right. in, in, in a grains situation because people are like, how do I know how long it's going to last and, and all that? Right, sure. And I say that a chloride-regenerated anine is anywhere from 7,500 to 8,500 grains because we always work in grains in this industry. Um, is that correct? It, it has only, only. Yeah, it's, it, it actually, yeah. I mean, that's a good average, but your range is probably going to go from maybe about 4,000 to 10,000 grains per cubic foot. Gotcha. And all right. So it, it's, it's a lot lower capacity than your cation. Which oh is, yeah. You know, anywhere from twenty-four to say thirty, right? Uh, twenty-four thousand to thirty thousand grains per cubic foot. But a typical range would be four thousand, ten thousand. But you can calculate that. Yes. Um, uh, the, the people listening can't can't see the graphs, but they're available. But uh, we have dealkalization capacity curves that you can look at and calculate. But again, you're going to need a water analysis. So. Um, the capacity of A300E or any type 2 anion resin for dealkalization is really based on the percent of alkalinity of all the anions in the water. So you would need to know sulfate, alkalinity, nitrate, and chloride. Uh -huh. So, for example, if I have a water that has a total, uh, total anions of, uh, let's say, 100 ppm, and I have... 60 ppm of that is alkalinity. That's 60% alkalinity. That's probably going to give you something on the order of about 8,000 grains per cubic foot, if I'm looking at it correctly. Yeah, about 8,000. Uh, so there is a, a simple, a simple uh, way of doing this. And these graphs that you know, right? But that you have available to you, Mike, that you you can provide to your clients. Yeah, we do, and it's on um, our website, urbansaqua.com. In a home, you wouldn't use caustic, but if you add a little caustic to the to the brine, you're actually going to be able to get higher capacity. Right. That will be used in the case where you're at an industrial site, boiler feed water application, where you're you're dealkalizing with the A300A. Optimize the so capacity. So you have separate you have separate curves for that too that you can show how to calculate it. Oh, cool. But adding more salt and caustic really doesn't buy you anything. So uh, typically the regeneration using using sodium chloride is, is going to be roughly around five pounds per cubic foot. If I regenerate with 10 pounds per cubic foot, I'm not going to get any more capacity. It's just waste. And that's, be that's because the A300 is a very efficient resin in terms of regeneration. And when you reach five pounds per cubic foot, you're, you're pretty much at the top of the curve in terms of capacity. Um, and it doesn't pay to add any, you know, increase the dosage higher than five. And if 
you use caustic and industrial application, it's about a quarter of a pound per cubic foot. That'll bring up your, your capacity, you know, maybe about uh, 10 to 15% huh. what? over just using sodium chloride. So the caustic, you dump uh, either liquid, what percent though? Their caustic is 20, 25, uh, it, 35. Yeah, you, you're typically going to have two separate feeds. Oh, okay. Um, chemical feed pump, maybe activate it right. and it turns into regeneration. Yeah. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, um, an important factor here, too, is that, uh, you know, when, when you're making up brine uh, and you, you do have a hard, high hardness background in the water, you're going to want to soften the water that's used for the brine makeup. Otherwise, you're going to form calcium carbonate uh, in the brine. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You see? So this is pretty much. That's it. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not using caustic, you're not going to worry about that as much. But if you're using caustic to increase the capacity of the dealkalizing resin, the A300 type product, uh, you, you definitely want to use softened water for making up the brine, the bulk brine solution, the saturated brine. Neat. Well, okay. Well, we're running out of time. We want to, you know, it's the, these subjects are very, uh, very complex and hopefully everybody got a pearl of wisdom out of these two sessions. Uh, and there are two, there are part one and part two. And I really, really, really thank Ted, uh, for getting the time to to do this and answer some of the questions i hopefully it was very valuable and you can go to pure lights website or uh, urban's aqua website and uh that's all about trusting the frog <laughs> that's my sign off <laughs> trust the frog one little disclaimer uh, this is our first phone over the phone interview because of covid uh, again we time stamped this we've been uh, we started a podcast and covid isn't that great everybody so if you hear little pops and whistles and uh bear with us because we're doing the best we can with what we have and the technology but thanks ted i really appreciate it hey mike i want to thank you and i want to thank the audience for you know hanging in there and i would look forward to doing other podcasts with you on other subjects as we move forward thank you I think silica is going to be, uh, I think we're going to have something to do with that. We're, that's rearing its ugly head everywhere, but it's an ugly head that we can't chop off. So thanks, Ted. I really, really appreciate it. Pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.